Hey, welcome to another Coaching You podcast with the coach, Brendan Sir. You're going to be so excited today. Mitch Henderson, the head coach of Princeton University, is our guest. And the tips he's going to give you on the Princeton offense, the origin of it, and the keys to make it work will be something you won't want to miss. Be back after this timeout. Let's take a second to tell you about one of our partners, Dr. Dish. Dr. Dish basketball shooting machines are the most high-tech and durable basketball shooting machines on the market. Each shooting machine was designed specifically for high-repetition training to allow players to improve through technology. Dr. Dish offers game-like training to give hundreds of shooting reps in just minutes and provide powerful analytics to help players improve their game. Dr. Dish has also introduced Skill Builder, which is the first of its kind in the basketball shooting machine industry that enables players and coaches to stay connected, design and upload training exercises, and instantly receive feedback on their workout, allowing for real-time adjustments and improved performance. It is, without question, the most innovative basketball training machine on the market. To learn more about Dr. Dish, log on to drdishbasketball.com or follow them on Twitter at drdishbball. Don't forget to mention Coaching You and receive $300 off on your next Dr. Dish purchase. That's right. Mention Coaching You or the podcast and get $300 off your Dr. Dish. Hey, welcome to another Coaching You podcast with the coach, Brendan, sir. And I am so excited today to have a fellow Jersey guy, not by by his birth, but by where he's coaching at Princeton University. Mitch Henderson is our guest today. Mitch, thank you so much for doing this. Oh, this is such a pleasure, Brendan. Uh, really appreciate you having me on. You know, I, uh, Princeton basketball is such an important part of my life growing up. Uh, the incredible coaching. The very first basketball camp I ever went to at 14 years of age was Butch Van Bredikoff. Okay, who was the coach of Princeton at the time, and then got to know Pete Carrill, uh, you know, throughout my high school and college career, and the incredible coaches that have come through there. What is it like now to be part of that incredible lore of coaches that come through Princeton? Well, it's very humbling to be to be first. Uh, you know, to be honest, I mean, I, um, you know, it, when I was a, a student at Princeton and playing for Coach Carrill, they they had a camp here called the Camp of the Lakers. And it was run with uh, by Coach Carroll and one of his friends from Reading, and uh, it was a you know a widely attended camp. And you know all the coaches that would work that camp would tell me stories about um, <laughs> Coach Carroll and his young young younger days when he would you know he would speak at Five Star and uh, you know sort of um, you know he was a, he was a legend. I mean, really early on in his career here, and uh, and then there were some just 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 terrific players that had played for Coach Carroll that would all come back and also work the camp. So um, I think right away you get an appreciation when you're the coach at Princeton for the importance of the program to the former players. And that's an unusual thing in, in college basketball, Brendan, as you know, where you've got um, not just great players, but great players that enjoy coming back uh, because coach was at Princeton for so long, 29 years. Um, and, uh, you know, I caught him at the end of his career. So, you know, it was a, it was a, a different kind of an arc for those of us that played for him then. But, you know, the, the feeling was that um, while, you know, times had changed when, when I arrived, this was in the mid nineties that the, the culture was there. It was always about, you know, what are you doing to make your teammates better? How hard are you working every day? You know, there are of course 
you know, tenants to the program, but um, things that we all worked on, but it was always, um, how, how are you making other people around you better? And so, I don't know, you try to make that, do that the best way in your own way uh, when you're the coach, but it's a, every day it's a gift to be the coach here for, you know, sort of what, what Ben Bredikoff and Coach Carroll set up for the rest of us. You know, the thing that amazes me is that through all the years, every time one of you guys does incredibly well, um, you know, it doesn't matter, you know, who it is, what, you know, and, and, and whether it's Joe Scott, whether it's Chris Mooney, uh, you know, and, and, and you, and John, uh, JT three, you know, uh, and Bill Carmen, you guys move on and then, there's always another Princeton guy to take the place because they just want to make sure they keep that system in place. Really. Right. A culture. Yeah. I like the way you said, you said culture. I mean, I, I think that's it. And, you know, I, I really, you know, I want to go back to if I can and, you know, Ben Bredikoff sure. sort of had, um, you know, a, a post player at the nail, right. Like sort of at the middle of the nail. And then coach Carroll took, a lot, you know, Coach Carroll played for Van Bredikoff in college, and he yep. knew and they knew each other fairly well. And you know, he was in his early 30s when he was named, maybe mid 30s when he was named coach of Princeton. But Coach took a, a passing, skillful center around four perimeter players that made and took long shots, and taught those guys how to play together. And this was in 19, you know, 68, 69, and that's been sort of the, the emphasis ever since and I think those of us that played for coach you get a little you get brainwashed because you're um and I think this is why that's why so many of us get into a coaching or have gotten into coaching because it's a really fun way to play and I I think that I don't want to you know I don't want to put this all on coach Carrillo but I think that he was just really he was what I'm describing is the current modern game you know it could be you know who's your passing center now or, or your skillful center you know it's uh some of the best teams we see at the highest levels have a skillful big and you've got four perimeters around that guy. So I think that coach would ask all of us, not just those of us that coach, but the ones that when we played, what do you see? It was always a rhetorical question. What did you see? Why did you do what you just did? And then get you to, you know, to play uh, and, and have appropriate spacing and then play together. And, and that was the, I mean, every practice was based around that. Well, Chuck, Chuck Daly and uh, Pete were very close and uh, from their Penn-Princeton days of competing. Yes. And uh, when Chuck and I uh, moved from the Pistons to the New Jersey Nets and right with the same time as the Dream Team in 92-93, we had our training camp at Princeton. Yes, and I remember. And it was so much fun. <laughs> and uh, what, what, what happened, uh, we would come in before we were – and you guys preseason uh, would just be playing pickup. And I've never seen Mitch anything like it ever. You know, nowadays, if you play pickup on a college campus, it, it looks like crap, right? And now <laughs> these guys were running the damn Princeton offense. And Chuck, and Chuck is going, shit, I can't get my guys to make two passes. And your guys are running stuff. And Pete is not saying a thing. He's standing there talking to us. And I think that was beautiful is that that's how they, he taught them how to play basketball and that's how they played pickup. And it was yeah. beautiful. And, 
And I, but you think about it nowadays, if you went, I don't care if you went to Duke, UCLA, or Michigan, you're not going to see that. You're going to see isolation one-on-one, maybe some pick and rolls and crap like that. You're not going to see this beautiful stuff that looked like you wanted a team to be coached after three months of practice. It was amazing. Well, I'm, I appreciate you bringing that up. And, you know, first, you, you're talking about the time. I, I remember when you guys were up with the Nets, and you were talking about the time actually when I, right around the time when I arrived on campus, we used to fight amongst the team for the two or three slots that you guys would give to our players to see who could kind of be ball boys for your practices. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we would all try to compete for, for those spots. But, you know, you, you bring up something. You know, this was, um, you know, I mean, I, Coach Carrill at the time was, you know, two or three years away from retirement. You know, he was headed right. to the Hall of Fame. There wasn't a whole lot of you know, there's always been rules, Brendan, but, you know, sometimes the rules didn't apply to coach. So he would stand, uh, there was a kind right. of a catbird seat way up in the top of Jadwin. And while we would be playing pickup, uh-huh. he would be up there smoking his cigar. cigar. And, you know, you, yep. you knew he was there and, you know, he was good about letting us play as long as we played the right way. And if you, if you did something, let's say that, you know, he really wanted you to work on a left-hand layup, a lefty reverse layup off of one foot. You know, he hated two-foot layups. So you're, uh, you know, so you're cutting the basket, you catch a you catch a ball low to the ground, you make a reverse layup, you're running back on defense. You know, it's it's September, there's no one watching, and you hear from all the way at the top, you hear, you! <laughs> you're Mitch! You know, and so you kind of, uh, you knew, you, you know, he always... He always had his eyes on you. Um, I think that in, in both good and maybe ways that were sort of all encompassing. And I think that that was, um, it was, you know, you played, to, you played in some ways to please what he saw, uh, what, you know, cause he saw so much and his, what he wanted you to see was what, you know, what he saw, which was, you know, what's open, what's the best shot. Um, you know, are you taking advantage of what's being given to you? Are you thinking the game? It was so much more about um, the team than about you. And when you got his um, affection or if he gave you praise, which was just so rare, it made you feel mm-hmm. like you were on top of the world. You know, you picture, you know, and I'm sure parents, when they think of Ivy League and they think of prestige, you think you're going to this school, you're going to get this incredibly uh, Wall Street type of guy figure coaching you. It's like Chuck <laughs> looked the part, you know, he had the suits, the big, you know, all the shoes and ties, you know, and the hair was per, you know, and then there's Pete, you know, and, yeah. and, and Pete was more comfortable going down to the little, uh, pub he used to go to where we would have a beer and a cheeseburger and he was going out to some you know fancy place for dinner like chuck wanted to but what was the deal as far as when everyone i always thought of this all these parents of all these great princeton players that went there they sent their son there to get this incredible world-class education the best in the world and then their kid after four years says Mom, Dad, I want to be a coach. How freaking disappointing those <laughs> parents must have been. And then all of a sudden, you guys all became the best coaches because of what you're learning. Why did that passion transfer to that, from that Princeton education to a, really just following your heart and doing what you wanted to do? 
Well, I don't know if that makes I, sense. Know, I, I don't know. I, I mean, I think there's a there's a large number of coaches that have played for Coach Carrill, and, and I, again, it, yeah, so much of what comes out of my mouth is uh, cited either. You know, it's it really could be like directly attributed, or I, sh- I should cite what I say from Coach Carrill or Coach Carmody. Yeah. But, you know, I think that Brendan, it, it starts from a culture. That, you know, uh, Coach was just so honest. And you talk about parents. I re- I can remember distinctly. Um, you know, you go on several recruiting visits and I was leaning towards going to an Ivy league school and the coaches, and this is true today too, tend to, to, um, you know, tell you everything you want to hear. Very positive. No, nothing really negative. Tell you you're the best. And, um, there's a place here in Princeton called Conti's pizza. And it's, it's sort of where coach would set up shop. And on your visit, we would all go to Conti's with coach and he would maybe <laughs> slug, slug a few beers while you're sitting there with him. And um, <laughs> he would tell you the truth. And I remember distinctly, he would, he said, um, you can't dribble with your left hand. You're, you're just an okay shooter. Um, but we'd like to have you. <laughs> and uh, I don't know, like, I think um, that resonated with me and I can't speak for everyone, but I think that's the, that's sort of a common thread. I think that I enjoyed being told the truth and that's really what I, you know, I'm, Coach, and I would tell you this, Coach Carrill was one of the first guys to tell me and many others, don't get into coaching. I mean, you know, like, don't do this. Like, well, you're crazy because, you know, you, he was like, why would you get into coaching? You'd be talking to your plate when you're, uh, you know, uh, when you're having dinner with your family. I mean, because there's just, it, it's a, it, it, there's so many highs and lows, but sure. um, the gift, the gift was the honesty, Brendan. That's really what it was. Yeah. He always told you. He told you where you stood. You knew exactly where you stood with him. Um, and that's, you know, for me personally, that's, uh, I try to do that too. I probably don't, you know, I don't know if you can do it the same way coach did it back then, but um, I do think that the that, uh, the student athletes appreciate that now where you're up front with them. And, you know, it's, a, yep. it's, um, it's the challenge, right? I mean, at the end of the day, he was an educator and I think that that's a, um, it's something that I'm striving to do here as well. As a high school player, you were a really good baseball player. Did when he was recruiting you and having been drafted, but did he tell you like you couldn't hit a curveball, so you better play basketball or something? Because <laughs> you <laughs> never played me, basketball. Football, so I, baseball, had a, I had a couple of games where I, I I threw the ball away. Um, you know, I was my freshman year. I just couldn't take care of the ball and. You know, my players tease me sometimes. They, you know, they'll, they'll point out, they'll go in the record books and they'll show me that I had a bunch of turnovers in a game. But uh, Coach Carrill said, you know, he's like, I'm going to come to, I'm going to come watch you play baseball and I'm going to stand in the stands with my mitt and I'm going to catch all your bad passes, all your bad throws to first base. You know, like he would tease me all the time. But uh, yeah, like I, I, I think he had respect for, um, for guys that, uh, that played multiple sports. Um, but he, the main thing with coach was he, you had to love to play. You had to love the game. Yeah. And if you loved to play, you were going to get better because that's, that's how he saw himself. And that's what he was. Yeah. After this quick time out, we're going to come back with Mitch Henderson and really explore the Princeton offense and its worldwide reputation in this after a few minutes. Okay. We'll be right back. Let's hear from our latest sponsor, Max one. Max One is the all-in-one coaching app that allows your team to train, 
communicate, and stay organized all in one easy-to-use spot. With all these useful features for one low price, I can't emphasize enough the value Max One can bring to your program, especially with the basketball season right around the corner. I know firsthand the importance of keeping your team on the same page as the season reaches its peak. I'm confident Max One can solve these problems for you and keep your program connected to help ensure you're on pace for the most effective season possible. Max One allows you to create individualized workouts for each player on your team with videos attached and deliver them right to your athlete's phone, eliminating spreadsheets and paper handouts and helping your players improve as the season goes on. You can then combine these workouts into an entire in-season program tailor-made to complement all the hard work that your athletes are already putting in during the season. You can even track your athletes' progress on the Max One leaderboards to see the improvement coming from your team, keeping everyone on the team accountable while encouraging a culture of competition. I also know how the calendar feature allows you to keep athletes, parents, and coaches alike as organized as possible. Workout schedules, practices, tournament games can all be created via color-coded schedules ensuring your athletes are in the loop with details on whatever events you have throughout the long season. To learn more about how Max One can help you run your program this offseason, head to their website at gomaxone.com and schedule a free 15-minute demo with a Max One program specialist. As always, mention me, Coach Brendan Sir sent you, and you'll receive a special discount if you decide to purchase. Again, visit www.gomaxone.com right now to schedule your free demo. You won't be disappointed. Hey, we're back with Mitch Henderson, the head coach of Princeton University. You know, I lecture all over the world, um, you know, but there are two things that are pretty constant. One is the triangle offense, which really no one outside of Phil Jackson and Tex Winter ever ran. A lot of women's teams tried to duplicate it, very few men's teams. But the Princeton offense, as it's known, quotation, uh, is a worldwide phenomenon, and it's used by so many people. Uh, not just the guys that played there. And um, what is it like? And, and bits and pieces. You know, we've, I've always used pieces of it. Uh, but what, what is it like to have an offense, basically, that, that's recognized with, you know, the school you played for and work for? It's, it's an advantage. Um, you know, the Princeton offense first, um, you know, again, this is when I got to Princeton, I was – I did not know what the Princeton offense was. I knew Coach Carrill was, you know, we, we were going to play a style that had its own name. And this was this was in the early 90s when I arrived. But you don't really know until you kind of get there and you're exposed to Coach's way of thinking. But I, I've always said this, and, and it's it evolved over the years, but it's been why the main thing is it's uh, it teaches you how to have good spacing and make reads. Um, and uh, we have worked hard, Brendan, in recruiting in particular to kind of overcome um, what the, the, one of the things associated with the offense, which is that we slow things down. 
Uh, Correct. Right. And I yeah. and I think that um, it couldn't be further from the truth. In fact, like we, you know, we, here at Princeton, or some of my teams, we, we've we've led the league in scoring. You know, it's uh, it's really a very democratic and fun way to play. Um, and and in fact, it opens everything up. But it it's always been true that teams play often slower against us. Um, you know, it's uh, but the the main the main thing I would say is like it's um, it's it's just teaching. That's the main, the main part of it is that, you know, you take, you still take the, the concepts the coach had and you try to make sure that you're adapting it to the players. But, um, the, the main tenant of course, being, a the four guys around one, um, four really skilled players around one. This was before the three point shot, you know, this was, um, still the way we were playing. Um, then, and that guy, the one guy being a hopefully a skillful passing center that knows and learns how to make others around him better. Um, I think coach patterned it. He, this is what he always told me at least or tells me um, around Bill Russell's Celtics teams. Um, you know, shoot, it's um, uh, you know, it's and, and, a, and again, a lot of rhetorical questions. I mean, there's, you know, the chin action is very popular uh, point series, yep. um, but it's less about this guy goes here and that guy goes there. And then to me, it's about what do you see? Like, um, you know, how do you set yourself up in terms of spacing when you're bringing the ball up the floor and where are you in relation to your teammates and then teaching you to see the help, you know, where's the help and how do you take advantage of that based on, and everybody's got to see it, not just you. You know, when we, um, uh, as, as you know, a lot of our listeners might not know. So the great, uh, coach Carrill, when he left head coaching at Princeton, Jeff Petrie was still the general manager of Sacramento Kings, and he brought him out there to be an assistant coach to Byron Scott. And it turned into absolutely fabulous because the Princeton offense then dominated the NBA. And Rick Adelman, another coach, these guys took what they wrote, uh, Rick Adelman and then Byron Scott, uh, the principals, and turned it into an offense where you could get a shot in 15 seconds, as you said, and great shot, great spacing, uh, you know, and that, that I thought really proved that it wasn't a slowdown offense. Well, I mean, you're, um, you, you're also talking about, um, you know, Eddie Jordan, uh, I think it, of course. I'm getting the name right. Yeah. Right. He, um, ended up coaching that Nets team that was really good in the early two thousands. And we would, we would, uh, you know, we would run Shen and get a layup and, Jason Kidd would run Shen and get a dunk for Keith Van Horn, you know, off of a Chin series, you know, like a lob or to Kenyon Martin. Uh, it was really yeah. fun to to watch that uh, what you just described evolve into the NBA with just higher level players and pastors. Um, that's why I, I was never surprised that you know it's not a high school or a college offense, although it can be effective at that level too. Um, we've had so many. When I was an assistant at Northwestern with Bill Carmody, we would have so many pro high school, college coaches come through to watch practices. Yep. And, and, and basically the takeaway was like, and Muffet McGraw at Notre Dame came up for several days when we were at Northwestern right. to watch. And I think they run a significant amount of the Princeton stuff. Uh, and, and really it's, it, it's not that it's, it's simple. It, it really, it's not that it's, it's that it, it lays itself out in front of you. Um, you know, for you to grab what works for you, but you know, as well as I do chin with, you know, where you're bringing the big, the big up to the elbow to set kind of a back screen. It's a beautiful thing to do because it opens the court. 
it, it immediately yep. opens the court up and you allows for spacing to happen right away. And, you know, it, when you have, if you don't have great players, it's a good play. And when you have great players, it's a good play. You know, it's, it's still, it's about creating the right kind of spacing. Um, I remember coach Carrillo would go to clinics. He would get asked to go to clinics and he'd say, you need good players and good spacing. Put your pins down. Start asking me questions. <laughs> you know, and, and then he would just start talking. And uh, I mean, that's what we start from a position of three on three. That's the very first thing that we do in the fall is try to teach the guys how to play in a three on three situation, which is what, you know, I learned from coach Carrill. Just try to play as much three on three as possible, which once you get to five on five, it, it, I think it allows you to see things a little bit better. How hard is it, Mitch, to teach the modern-day player, the, the high school kid coming in, to read defense? Good question. Um, I think it, it, it depends on where the high school coach, what kind of a kid you're getting coming in. Right. Um, generally speaking, you know, Princeton, we, we've gotten you know, the, the level of player that we're we're getting here. The talent level in our league has gotten you know, really high. So you're able to yep. get um, the better the player, the more that they see. And um, I would say that there's, I've tried to make things as simple as possible. So there's like almost no barrier to entry to playing right away. Uh, but the guys that see pick things up so quickly, Brendan, and that's, that's always been a key tenet is, you know, the, you know, can you see the, you know, the way uh, a ball, a, a reversal pass, a, a good chess pass, um, you know, that's something you can still teach somebody. But I would, I've rarely sure. seen kids coming out of high school with a good overhead or a chess pass. I mean, that's just a, most kids are throwing right. it with one hand, pushing it with their right hand, or their overhead pass has got no backspin on it. Um, I mean, I think that we spend the first few minutes of each practice still dribbling, passing, um, you know, lots of shooting. I, you know, I try not to skip any steps so that when they get here, there's improvement worked into the, the practice so that you're still working on the finer details that, um, you know, I would say like, you know, some coaches would say you can't skip any steps. Like, you know, if there's a hundred steps needed, you can't skip any. And I think coach Crow would say, well, there's no, there's a thousand steps, <laughs> you know, right. and, uh, you, you can't skip any of those. And so to answer your question, I, it's, it's not hard if the kid is willing, and I think I believe in change. And so if you believe in that, then, then that's part of your culture. And, you know, in college, if the best players are, are the seniors and the seniors are the ones that are most willing to, get, to be better, I have a senior right now that's my hardest worker and most willing to improve, then the rest usually follow. You know, I watched you play uh, Yale a week and two weeks ago, a week and a half ago on TV and uh, on a Friday night. That's where my life is going now, where I'm watching at 7 o'clock, I'm watching Ivy League <laughs> basketball. And I'll tell you Good. what, it was fabulous. Because like you said earlier, Mitch, uh, I love the style you were playing. It was as good as I've seen in co a college team play. The way you, it's really, it's not, the, it wasn't like just a two guard, uh, you know, same type of like the triangle is a pretty rote offense. You know, you can only yeah. you know, have to cut to the corner. You have to, you only have four things you can do when the ball's passed. 
I mean, this was like flowing and moving, and guys were going one on. I mean, it was really fun. And Yale was also terrific. The level of play, the level of talent in the Ivy League is so high now, in my opinion. It, and it was yeah. fun to watch. Well, you mentioned the game where we got rolled at, at our place, but uh, you know, I'm glad to hear you say that you enjoyed, I enjoyed it. Play. Not that, that you got nice, rolled, so. Nobody, you know, <laughs> not at all. But I enjoyed the game. I mean, I really yeah, thought the well, game good. was so well played. You know, uh, you know, well, but, I, you, know you, and, you bring up a concept that that uh, you know, I think early on, let's say you know, we're as as you and I are talking, we've we're at the end. You know, it's it's uh, it's March and we're still playing, which is good, but. As you build the team and the way the offense moves, you know, um, I think that you want what you just described. That takes time; it doesn't happen overnight. Mm -hmm. And you've sure. got to start with, a, you know, okay, a right to left crossover as you're starting their offense with the freshmen and the sophomores. And we always have the guys that have been in the offense up in the front of the line. Let's say if we're doing just a you know, we're, we're working on an entry pass to the wing and then a front, a same side corner cut. So you've got the guys that have done it before. And we put, I put a huge amount of emphasis on do it just like the guy in front of you, because, you know, like uh, over time, that's what a program is. And I've always enjoyed watching the Spurs because I, you know, to sort of talk about their program. Like they refer to the way that they do things as, you know, this is how we do it. And, you know, um, if you watch the guy in front of you do it, not just the speed or the change of speed or the way he, he sets himself up, if you imitate that, maybe it, it could be, you could say, well, they're doing the exact same thing, but that's just one part. But what you're learning, uh, one thing you do, but what you learn is um, uh, the, the different, the hundreds of different ways to set yourself up to make somebody else better. Uh, because at the toughest moments in the game, um, you're, it needs to look like it's free flowing. It needs to look like it's easy, but you're going to have to execute a play when the defense, it, let's say to get the ball to a certain spot on the floor and the higher the skill level, the more easily that gets done. As you know, is better than I yeah. would. I mean, you coach some of the most skilled guys out there, uh, ever that have ever played. So we're trying to just, I, I think that improving the skill level is the most important thing. In fact, I think I might've heard you or maybe it was Kevin Eastman say like dribbling is one of the first things that leaves you, you know, and that's, that's very true. So I don't think you can yeah. work on the, the entry, the, the, the skill of every person on the team. Uh, not just, not just the guards, every person, no matter the size. And that's really been, we've sort of really tried to be positionless at Princeton as much as possible. You know, not having numbers so much, but really allow guys to play, um, all different positions, and that that's really been a good good thing for us. And you know, positionless basketball, which I, I I've believed in for the last ten plus years, that I think is so evident in their style of play because it, there are, I mean, you know, you know, like you know, you can call people guards, forwards, and post player, but it really doesn't matter who plays where, right? I I think that's correct. I mean, uh, you know, Bill Comedy would always say that. Magic Johnson's high school coach was the smartest guy on the planet because, um, you know, here, here was a six, nine, six, ten point guard that he didn't stick him on the low block for his entire high school career. So that, right. uh, you know, sometimes you got to get, you know, and then maybe, maybe you get a kid at our level. Um, you know, when I, when I say level, I just mean it in college where 
you sure. got a, you know, their high school coach stuck them on the low block and there's a lot more that kid can do. Um, and then of course you've got the, the, it's the other way where you've got a big, uh, you know, maybe a big, that can't shoot and they're, you know, everybody around them is like, let that guy shoot, <laughs> you know? So, uh, and it, you know, and you're like, well, there's a reason he's open all the time. It's because he can't shoot. Uh, you know, when, when, so, you, when you referred before to pop at the uh, San Antonio, you know, of all 30 teams in the NBA, the Spurs are the only team that doesn't refer to themselves as an organization. They refer to themselves as a program as colleges do. And it's oddly, and it's the same only team of course, that's had the same guy coaching them for 22 years. So they have that continuity in culture, style of play uh, and their style of play. He's totally morphed from what he's done in the past this year. He's yeah. playing way differently because of his talent, but it's the same yeah. unselfish principle that you have. I think that, you know, it's like the, uh, I remember when they played uh, Miami heat and then this would have been maybe the, the 2012, 13 finals and maybe whatever yep. the year was where the, the Spurs had lost one year. And then the next year they, they were just had this terrific run where the ball was just moving. And I remember them talking about, the ball not sticking, you know, just not just yeah. continuing to move. And, you know, um, it's still generally speaking, you know, the, whoever has the best players tends to kind of, kind of win. And that's, that's true in the college level too. But um, of course there is something to be said for the ball moving, Brendan. It's, it really, it creates um, at least, at least for, for those of us for, at, at Princeton, that has been the central tenet of, our whole program, which is what are you doing to make other people better? And that generally means passing the ball. And when the ball moves, it's a really fun way to play. And it stays with you forever. I love that concept. After this timeout, we're going to come back and explore a little further something you just said. We'll be back with Mitch Henderson in one minute. Fast Model Sports is the world's most comprehensive, versatile basketball coaching software to help power your preparation. Fast Model has developed the industry's best coaching software, including the number one play diagramming and playbook software, FastDraw. FastDraw bridges the gap between whiteboarding and the digital world with an incredibly easy-to-use interface that can be used on both your computer and iPad to providing maximum portability for your own personal play and drill database. It doesn't stop there. Along with FastDraw, they have other great programs such as Fast Scout which helps coaches create clean, professional scouting reports customized for your team. Fast Model is trusted and used by all NBA and WNBA teams, 85% of Division I college teams, and over 8,000 high school and youth teams from over 75 countries around the world. In addition to a great product, they also provide basketball coaching resources through their blog and play bank, which features over 5,000 free plays and drills on their online coaching community. For access to these plays and more information, visit FastModelSports.com or follow them on Twitter at FastModel. We're back with Princeton University head coach Mitch Henderson. Uh, my friend, this is, uh, this is incredible. What I've found out now is both you and Kirill Bill Carmody, you're all cut from the same cloth of excellence in teaching and coaching really is based on simplicity, correct? 
I think so, right? So if um, yeah, I think if you if you ask a you know when I when you talk to my if I ask my players and I say okay, what's it like when you're not playing well? And generally the the answer is I'm thinking too much. And then if you ask you know and we're talking about 18 to 22 year old mm. kids, but and then if sure. you say well, okay, what's it like when you're playing well? And you know you may might get. I, I had a great night's sleep or, you know, I ate, I ate really well that morning, but generally it's, I'm just not thinking. So the more, um, you know, if they're thinking about me, um, you know, that's, that's a problem. And that's, that doesn't help them at all. And, uh, we try to make sure that they they've got enough in there. What we're giving them in practice is always, always things that they use in the game. Never give, I never try to do anything where, um, the things that we're doing in practice aren't, aren't exactly related like to a game. Like, you know, always have a ball, you know, always, always playing together, always setting themselves up. Like there's, you know, and we try to go full speed too. So, you know, you're just, by the time, hopefully this time of year, you're playing your absolute best basketball together. When, uh, one of the things that, uh, I, I think it was at the end of coach Carrillo's tenure that he, uh, you know, back in the day when he first came to Princeton, you know, he was man-to-man defense and all that. But then he went to, I thought it was more like a 1-2-2 two, two or 3-2 matchup zone. Yeah, um, it was like a 1-2-2 two, two matchup, yeah. Why did that all happen? I just want the official answer. Yeah, I, you know, so that was right around when I arrived at Princeton. Yeah. We were we were exclusively man-to-man, and then when we would play the – the big teams. In fact, we played um, exclusively a matchup one two two against UCLA in the '96 tournament, which was right when Coach that was the game before that where Coach retired. But we played man to man in the league, and then a one two two. And um, you know the 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 popular thing right now is uh, you know not right now, but is is you know that Virginia the pack line defense. You know, really yes, uh, you're in exactly. the gaps all the time. And I would say Coach Carroll he comes and watches my practices now. And I, you know, he's, he's always right. Whatever he says, he's, you know, I'm always listening. <laughs> he's all, you know, he would teach us how to, um, and this is just the way he would play. We would always have um, multiple years. I think almost every year we would lead, lead the, uh, the nation in scoring defense. Um, you know, people always gave us a lot for our offense, but it was our defense that won us all those games and getting steals. So, you know, he would say, you've got to figure your own guy out um, by the second or third time down the floor. And then the matchup was designed to play gaps. So uh, how can you funnel somebody into a situation where you could potentially get a steal? And, um, you know, that, that, that was the, I mean, if that's, that's the best way I can describe it. It was, um, and then I think in, in Brendan, and right around the late '90s, people started would run their zone offense against zones, and their man offense against yep. mans. And and I think that um, you know people got smart and they started running their man stuff against the matchup, and that caused more yep. problems for the matchup. And um, so I think that's that's a generally a, a, you know the answer that you know. And I think that getting away from a matchup zone, there's still good reasons to play it, but you you've got to have the right people there. Do you think, uh, I, I, I wondered if, like, Beheim, you know, playing his 2-3 exclusively at Syracuse, uh, that, you know, he just doesn't, he wants to spend, or or did you guys at Princeton want to spend so much time perfecting your offense that you didn't want to spend a lot of time, 
who's to work on defense like Tony does, I bet he spends more time on defense than he does on his offense, maybe. You know? Yeah. I just wondering. I, you know, yeah, it's uh so I mean the practices generally were structured around um offense. We would we would Yeah. I mean this was Coach Carroll, we would have really long practices, sometimes four hours. We would have, <laughs> uh, you know, I mean it was <laughs> like it was a, I mean, you know, he would sit you down for a half an hour before and after practice, so an hour total, and talk to you. And that's when he would tell, <laughs> we, would, we would call that the State of the Union address, where he would go down and talk to every single guy on the team and talk about you in front of your teammates. Uh, but <laughs> the, the, uh, the, the main thing is that we were probably 90% offense. But, um, yeah. and, you know, I always thought it was like a marvel that we, now that I'm coaching, that. I work on defense all the time in my practices. So we would have this, you know, but it was it was what coach saw and we would put the defense in. It was um it was through sheer force of will that he would um you know kind of teach you, okay, now we're gonna now we're gonna play our defense and this is what we do. And it was really just trying to impose your will on your opponent um in a in a two day period. Um but we you know, if I go back and watch those games, you know, we were giving up you, you give up layups or boxing out and um you know i don't think that some of the principles you talked about with tony bennett they, they weren't there it was a little it was more of, of a steel based what do you see and uh and that allowed you to be really I, I think hang with some of the biggest teams yeah oh your teams were could always play at an amazing level and i think that's what that underdog mentality you know of of the you know, the Ivy Leaguers, the Princeton guys playing with UCLA is something that's embedded in, you know, people's minds. And, and, and back with no shot clock either, uh, you know, you were able to control the tempo even more so, you know. And that's where I think that unfair myth of a slowdown attack, you just, could, you just guys could really pass the ball and move and cut, you know. So, and then slice them to death with a backdoor layup, you know, which was kind of cool, you know. But uh, what's the best part of coaching in the Ivy League, Mitch? Well, it's the, it's the opportunity to, to be associated with the kids. Um, you know, that's by far, it's, um, you know, our kids, they, you know, everybody's going to school, but that the mission of the, the league is to double down on who we are, which is these guys are student athletes. I've got uh, my best player who I mentioned to you earlier is pre-med, uh, Richmond Air Raguzzo. He's, um, you know, he's already taken the MCATs, um, but he, you know, he lo looks like a high major division one basketball center and he was like just a terrific person to be around. He's a great listener. And, you know, he was none of those, he was, you could see it was going to happen, but he wasn't any of those things when he was young. So, you know, I think that you get, maybe you, you don't get a finished product up front, but the goal is to, you know, be associated with kids that, that believe in getting better. And here at Princeton, we've we've been really fortunate to. I always say good players make good coaches. Um, I don't yeah. know what you think about that. They but do. I think they do. <laughs> well, they they do. You know, but you know, talk about talk to you, if you would about. Uh, I think what as a coach, uh, for those of us that don't play it, what is it like to prepare for a Friday Saturday night games oh, each yeah. week during the yeah. Can I talk about like my leaky, my leaky, stressful gut while I'm talking about that? <laughs> uh, without a doubt, yeah, no, <laughs> yeah, no, uh, no. It's um, 
you know, so what we do, um, let's say you've got a Friday, Saturday, and, you know, these games tend to be, you know, very meaningful um, for, you know, for us on the weekend. So we don't, the reason we play those games is we don't miss class. So you've got, let's say you're on the road. So you, we usually prepare for the Saturday game on Monday. So for instance, today we're, you know, as you and I are taping this, we're, we're to Monday and we're preparing for our Saturday game. And then we generally take Tuesdays off um, with a light video session, maybe some light shooting. And then we prepare for the Friday game on Wednesday and Thursday. And you treat okay. the weekend uh, as if there's no Saturday game. This is what we do. We just say, hey, it's one and zero. That's what you're trying to do. And no matter gotcha. the result on Friday, the conversation after the game is, this is, we got to erase what just happened as fast as we can, win or lose. And you really learn, I actually think it's a good way to, to sort of be anyways, and I, is to, to just focus on Saturday night. Like, hey, that's over. Let's, now let's completely shift gears and focus on our next opponent. And sometimes the next opponent you're playing, there's, there's very little parallels, you know, themes to winning that there was the night before. Um, and, and, and Saturday night is about guts. You just got to push through it because, you know, some of your best guys maybe played heavy minutes on Friday night. And uh, so you can't wear your guys out too much on during the week. You've got to get sharp. And then, you know, you know you're going to play really heavy minutes, um, you know, on both nights of the weekend. It, it's, it's really tough. But, you know, the, the other thing is the other team you're playing against is going through the exact same thing. So, they, yeah. um, they, you know, it, Friday, Saturdays in our league is uh, it's generally about who's 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 just a little tougher. How how big is a home court advantage when you have you have both Friday and Saturday at home? It's nice to sleep in your own bed. I always think of that Larry Bird quote when they were playing the Rockets. You know, it's like our cuts are a little bit faster. You know, you just feel a little <laughs> bit better about yourself. I don't remember yeah. exactly what he said, but you know, it sort of guaranteed a game seven win. Um, I, I just think you, you know, that it, I think playing at home is nice, but, um, it's who, you know, again, going back to coach Carroll, I told you, I, Brendan, everything I usually comes out of my mouth is cited by coach Carroll, but who are the X's and who are the O's? And that's generally what it is, right? I think it's, uh, I don't know, maybe you, you probably know this is better than I would, but they, they've got to do it. And I don't know if yeah. home court matters as much. I think the kids now they've, they're in layup lines, and they've seen every single guy they're playing against in AAU. They know each other, so it's not like yeah. there's anything hidden out there. So, um, but I think that man, getting a good night's sleep in your own bed—that that I think it's huge. I, I really do. I can yeah. see it being a yeah. big advantage on the Friday Saturday. When you play, let's take last weekend, uh, Friday night you're at Brown. Do you travel Thursday night or do Friday morning? We leave on Thursday afternoon after after classes. We arrive right. um, Thursday night, usually, you know, late uh, for us. We, you know, we got in around 1130 to, you know, Providence, Rhode Island. And, and yep. then um, you go to a shoot around the next day. And then we leave right after the game and go to New Haven, Connecticut to play Yale yeah. the next day. So, yeah, so um, you, you got to get out and move right after the game, right? Yeah. Well, yeah, that's, that's usually like the you say one or two words and I'm like, all right, let's get the heck out of here. Let's go. You know, we got let's go. We got another game Food to on play. The bus. Yeah. Let's go. Right. Yep. Yep. Now, now, so in your league, and this is not a knock on, you know, any of the teams in the league, I look at that, and I've never played uh, the Ivy League schedule, 
the Dartmouth Harvard. Okay. To me, the Princeton Penn is kind of a dream. That's a nice trip for a team. Yeah. But I got to think that Cornell Columbia sucks. Yeah. I mean, gee, I don't mean the, the teams is great. The coaches are neat. The schools are wonderful. But the trip, I mean, that's a I tough mean, one, you, right? You, I mean, you and I didn't talk before this, but, man, you nailed it. Nope. That is the absolute worst trip. It is a, it is a nightmare. Um, because it's a, it's about a four and a half hour trip. You, you get in around, you know, 2 a.m. We played one year, we played a triple overtime game at Cornell, lost and arrived <laughs> in the New York city at like 4:30 a.m. And the next day I was Ugh. walking onto the floor and, you know, sometimes we play that Saturday game at 6 p.m. I walk on the floor and Jim Ingalls, who's the coach at Columbia, he came up and shake my yep. hand and he had this funny look on, you know, sort of smiling at me. He's like, I don't want to stand too close to you, I might get hit by a piano. And I just started laughing, you know, because it's like, you know, sometimes it's just, that's a tough trip, you know, and the guys know it too. And, you know, we dropped one this year uh, at Cornell and and, uh, we're able to recover the next night. You know, those are the things you're most proud of, Brendan, when your team kind of pushes through being being young kids and able to perform the next day on a a trip like that. Those are, um, those are big games. Talk about the new Ivy tournament, which is now kind of in its third year of kind of uh, morphing itself into something. Because I think it's fascinating that you went to that, which was traditionally uh, league champ, uh, barring a tie with a playoff game, you were going to represent the Ivy League in the NCAA tournament. Talk about how that's evolved now. Well, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting you brought it up. You know, we just... We just played uh, last weekend. We were essentially playing for first place in the league on Saturday night um, against Yale, at least a, for a share of first place, and we lost and uh, on a really tough game. And in years past, before the tournament, um, you know, you were still in it, but you were really like you needed a lot of help, and and your season was essentially over. Um, and those were just crushing. It's, it was just crushing to be. Mm-hmm. involved in that and then um so now you've got there's just so much basketball to play and it's really i think a, a wonderful thing for the league um it's created a lot of opportunities for the student athletes to you know now we've got this and the environment around the tournament brendan has just been you know it's terrific i mean we get all the all the schools in one spot this year the the tournament we're, we're sort of rotating the tournament this year is at harvard it's been a really great thing for our league now on the other that you know, I, I have to say this. So two, three years ago, we were undefeated in the league, and it was the first year of the tournament. And as as it would be, we were we go into the league. We're fourteen and zero. We're going down to the Ivy League tournament, and we're playing Penn at Penn in the first round because uh, they were the Jeez. host team. And uh, you know, right away, it was just a. We we ended up winning but it ended up being one of the worst experiences. So if you would ask me the same question that you just asked me, then I would have said, hate the tournament. Can't stand it. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I get it. No, because, I get you know, it. It's sort of whatever side, of it, you know, the, whatever side the, I remember running in the, the head coach at Harvard, Tommy Amaker, as I was walking with that year, I was, I was walking into the hotel and he had this huge smile on his face. And I was like, of course you're smiling. You know, <laughs> yeah. like, uh, you know, it's, uh, so wherever you're coming out on it, it's, it generally is, it generally though, is a, is a really good thing. Oh, that, that's great. Well, I wish you guys a lot of luck down the stretch here. And, uh, it, this has been so enjoyable for me and our listeners to be able to, to, you know, learn so much more, but 
Uh, I, for those of you that please research the Prince now, but I love some of the comments, but the idea of that you've taught me to, about teaching players what they see, I think it's just brilliant. I really do. And I thank you for sharing, Mitch. Thank you. Well, it's, it, this is a real pleasure. I listen to, um, to your, your podcast all the time. And I, I share with you that I, I came to, um, one of your first clinics at the Palms in Vegas a long time ago when I was an assistant and I still have all my notes from that talk. Um, and, uh, it's always been clear about your passion for the game. So it's, a it's a really nice honor to be on here with you and talk some hoops. Well, thank you so much. And uh, again, continued success. And, uh, I'm rooting for Princeton. I, I root for Amaker too. He's a buddy, but, and, uh, but it, I love the league and I love the kids in the league. They represent what it's all about. So thanks Mitch. Thanks a lot, Brendan. I appreciate it. That was a phenomenal session, and I love it. Uh, so brought back so many uh, memories of Princeton basketball, but also what's going on there, the Princeton offense, research it, study it, take in those comments again from Mitch. There are tips that you can never, never get, even at a clinic. Uh, but one of the things I want to make sure that all of our listeners do are coaching you live, VIP experience, is July 13 and 14. The NBA Summer League has moved to July 10 to 20. So we'll be out in Vegas again, the 13th and 14th for, it's 100 people only can come to this VIP. Everyone is treated on the floor. You're sitting on the floor, uh, courtside seating. Everyone gets a notebook. Everyone gets meals. Everyone gets the videos of every speaker. It's a life-changing experience in learning. So please make sure that you come take part of this. Uh, again, it's our 12th year of uh, being in Vegas with this uh, opportunity. So make sure you sign up by midnight of the final four, Monday the 6th, for a $100 discount, $100 off by April 6th at midnight, right after the final four. Go to coachingyoulive.com forward slash VIP 2020. We'll see you next week.